all of life family i love you thanks for tuning in thanks for uh, just being so reasonable in a season where there is such uncertainty um I think that this is all going to blow over and the coronavirus is going to be a thing of the distant past in just a few months. But for right now, we're taking all of the precautions necessary to ensure that we're being good neighbors, ensure that we are considering the vulnerable above and beyond uh, ourselves. And then also uh, just considering the ways that we have opportunity to, um, to, to gather in different contexts and to gather in different ways. So in the coming week, Actually, soon uh, we're going to be communicating with you and what we're an initiative we're just calling uh, House to House, where we're going to uh, be asking you as a church to stay connected in smaller communities around uh, a shared meal or drink, um, study of the scriptures and prayer, uh, real small groups of, of people, just having people in your homes and you being in other people's homes around the table, sharing life, making sure that we are staying uh, connected. So um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try to keep this um, brief, preacher brief. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, what, what preacher can actually be brief? I don't know that that is actually a thing. Um, I want to tune you in. So here's what I'm going to do uh, in, in this video. I had a message written for you on uh, Rhythms of Grace, the series that we've been in on, um, on the discipline and the rhythm of generosity and of giving. And I'm still going to uh, teach uh, uh, a, a short portion of that. Um, and I just want to disarm you right now. I'm not asking you for your money, I'm not asking you for all of that. I want you to just continue to live as faithful disciples of Jesus who are pressing in uh, with him in the everyday stuff of your lives. Just keep doing what you're doing. We've got a lot to celebrate, and I mean to point out all of the different things that we have to celebrate. But before I do that, uh, I, want to, I want to just dive in. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You probably know, if you're familiar with the scriptures, that this text is an early, the earliest description of how the church in Jerusalem and in Judea, immediately after Jesus's resurrection and ascension, how they live together. Uh, and it's a descriptor of what the community, the new community of Jesus's people looked like and lived like. What did it feel like? What was the contour and the texture of their way of life together? So this is what God's word says in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Before I read it, consider if you've got uh, kids that, uh, that can understand a bit of this, uh, I want you to read this with them. I want you to ask them what they are processing, what what they, how they think this new community uh, might translate into how they and you as a family live together today. And if you're uh, a single person or your kids are out of the home, um, there are so many ways contextually uh, that we can continue to live this out. So this is not just for families or we're not just a church of families any longer. We're a church of, uh, of young people. We're a church of older people now by God's grace and we're also a church still with a, a good sized population of um, young families, young moms and dads, young kids around the home. So this is God's word, Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. And they, the disciples, all of them, devoted, notice that word, devoted themselves to a few things, to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and awe, or fear, godly fear, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed in Christ were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, this is a parallel passage to opportunity, or maybe it's a descriptive passage of how the early church lived but within it, I think we can make very ready correlations to how we as Jesus's people can also live ourselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is the, the New Testament. The apostles' teaching was what our New Testament consists of now that it's been recorded and preserved for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Those apostles were and lived with Jesus uh, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, that is, to the new community of God's people called together as a family on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They committed themselves to the breaking of bread. Uh, this probably has a bit of a double meaning embedded within it. Uh, they committed themselves to sharing meals, and they also committed themselves to keeping the sacrament of communion, to sharing the Lord's Supper together as a community as well. And the last thing that it mentions as a descriptor in verse 42 is they committed themselves to prayers, to praying together. And as they did this, a result that is natural and supernatural given by God is that awe, godly reverence, fear, understanding that hallowed be your name, Father. This, I, I, uh, this understanding, uh, it came upon every soul in this new community. And many wonders and many signs were being done through the apostles. Now, these wonders and signs being done through the apostles were like blow your minds kinds of wonders and signs. But the apostles, as they, um, as they passed away, went to be with the Lord and their disciples, second, third, fourth, and on generations came after them. Uh, signs and wonders, I believe, are still a, an occurrence uh, in our world today and in our reality. I do not believe that the gifts, the supernatural uh, in-breaking of God's kingdom uh, ceased with the apostles. I personally believe that it continues on today. Uh, we don't see as much of it in our culture and in our world, and I think there are probably reasons for that. But the point is, I don't want to get too far off track because I'm going there right now. Uh, what is happening is that many wonders and many signs are being done, meaning that this group, this community, they're drawing attention to themselves. Things are happening among them that are only explained by the power and the work of Jesus Christ and his spirit who resides and lives within them. And all, verse 44, who believed in Christ, they were together. They were unified, and they had all things in common. They, they shared what they had. They were even going as far, verse 45, to sell as, as selling their possessions, selling their belongings, and distributing the proceeds from, from the sale of these things to any who had need among them. They were, they were a wonderfully integrated community who were making sure that no one among them was going without, but rather for the good of all, they were willing to give of themselves, even if it meant sacrifice, sacrifice, 
even if it meant inconvenience and even if it meant discomfort. And day by day, on a regular basis, this is a rhythm of life for them. Day by day, they would attend the temple courts together in a larger gathering of God's people, and they would also break bread, share meals in their homes, and they would receive their food together with glad and generous hearts. What did they do, verse 47? Praise God through all of this. Their hearts are overflowing with gratitude to God. And this way of life gave them favor with their neighbors. It gave them favor with their friends, their coworkers, their families. And the Lord, as he uh, lived among them in this new community, he would draw people in, and as he drew people into this way of life and way of living together, day by day, he would add to their number those who were being saved, those who were being justified by grace as a gift through faith in Christ. So there are so many tangible applications from this passage for us today, uh, for us in the midst of uh, panic and anxiety and coronary. Uh, uh, coronavirus uh, fears, uh, just what's going on in our world today. You know, as a church, we're responding. We want to love our neighbors well, but this is causing us to rethink how we live together as a church family and how we orient our time and how we stay embedded in community rather than isolated as individuals. So we're going to be thinking um, this is going to cause us if if the coronavirus comes and and uh, and we continue to have to socially isolate ourselves. Um, we are going to have to think through what does it look like for us to use video platforms to communicate with one another, uh, Zoom calls or uh, FaceTime to just stay connected, telephone calls. <laughs> Imagine that, like we're going to start talking on the phone again because a text message isn't just enough. I want to hear a person's voice and I want to, I want to see their face as well. So uh, just be thinking, let this, let this passage, study it, pour over it. Pray through it. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes to how he might want you to live uh, today in, in the midst of it. This was a, a radically generous people. Now, this description in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it describes the church um, in Jerusalem and in Judea. And then fast forward a number of years, the Apostle Paul would come to know Christ about a year after this description in Acts 2.42, uh, and then he would begin uh, these missionary journeys, preaching the gospel and rallying and, and gathering people together around the gospel, and they would begin to live in radical new ways, and then um, outpost after outpost of light would spring up. People who are allegiant and declare their allegiance to Jesus would spring up across the known world. And eventually, in 2020, it has reached us out here in Kootenai County and Spokane, Washington. But the Apostle Paul would write to this young church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Go to 2 Corinthians, just a few books to the right of Acts. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through uh, 15. And I'm really just going to hang out in, uh, in, in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 8. And, and this is the portion of the sermon that I already had written that I just want to lay before you. And, um, and I, and I want to celebrate just how I see Jesus working among you. So we're not a fearful people. We are still that we have the Spirit of God within our hearts. We have the gospel and the scriptures in front of us. We have brothers and sisters who are on the same mission, in the same family as we are. And man, is there opportunity now to speak 
good news, not good advice, but good news to our neighbors as they are anxious and as they are panicked, as they are wondering how this is going to affect them, as they're worried and concerned for the health of their aging parents and aging friends and aging family members, as they have children and as they have struggles with their own anxiety or, um, or, or children and family members going through major um, health complications, heart issues, breathing, respiratory uh, challenges, uh, diabetes. Like, um, there are people that we're concerned about and that we're thinking about. And so there's much good news to be had that Jesus Christ rules and sustains all things and this is no surprise to him. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to these Corinthians and he starts telling them the story of this church in uh, these, this group and family of churches in Philippi, the, the letter to the Philippians, uh, in Thessalonica, uh, the first and second letters to the, to the Thessalonians in the New Testament. Also would it be included in these Macedonian churches is uh, a church in Berea. Now we know the one thing that we know in about the Bereans is that they were, they were hardcore, diligent students of God's word. So Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, to the Corinthians, bragging on the Philippians, Thessalonians, Bereans, and other churches in modern-day Greece. And this is what he says. He says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, think about what's going on in our world today. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For these Macedonian churches, they gave, verse 3, according to their means, as I can testify, Paul says, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at this, verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor, the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us and their gifts through the apostles to be taken to the church in Jerusalem and Judea. Paul says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And Corinthians, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, this act of, um, of joyful, generous giving. One of our value statements as a church at All of Life is that we are a joyfully generous per, uh, church. And this has been embedded in our DNA uh, since, since day one. Um, this last week, uh, Jenny, um, our youngest, she's three, she came up to me and, and in the sweetest voice and with as much earnestness as a three-year-old could possibly have, she says to me, do you want a piece, Daddy? You want a piece of my gum? And she was just, I could tell she was so eager to give me a piece of this gum. Now, some of you have given me gum before and it has not delighted me like Jenny's offer of gum did. Uh, I'm thankful for your gum um, and you're probably thankful that I'm chewing it, uh, but I'm just not delighted in your gift uh, in the same way that I was with hers. Why does her gift, uh, this gift of gum from a three-year-old delight me so? She has my heart. She's my daughter. I'm her father. 
her joyful generosity to me and just offering me this little piece of gum, it pulled me in as I recognized how delighted she was to share her gum with me. Now, did I need it? I didn't need it, no. What's funny is that her mom and I bought her gum for her. Meredith and I bought this gum for Jenny, but in her celebration, in the joy of this celebration, of our good gift to her, what does Jenny's heart do? It overflows in generosity to Meredith and I. It is in our DNA as God has created us in his image to be a joyfully generous church, to be a joyfully generous people. That's why it feels so good to give, right? But, if, but our human hardware, if you will, uh, it's glitching. Um, it's corrupt, just like a computer software or an app uh, doesn't work properly if it has if it, that file is corrupted. Um, additionally, uh, our generosity glitch, if you will, is our own greed. Uh, we're created by God to give. We're created by God to contribute, but instead we say me, and that's what's true of each of us, right? We're we're, we're conflicted. Uh, we feel the extreme tension between self-giving, as Trevor named it last week, and self-getting for ourselves. Our greed, it says, and we can see this in culture right now today in the grocery stores and in what's going on. Our greed says, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. What's going to happen to me? What about me? But our self-giving says, what about them? They don't have enough. What's going to happen to them? What Will they be okay? What's so unique and what's so beautiful about the new community that Jesus creates is that when he moves in, he moves our hearts. He reshapes our desires. He reshapes our loves internally. We go from feeling obligation to give to others and what, through our resources or our time, our attention, our uh, our money, our goods, our food. We go from feeling obligation. When he moves into our hearts, we begin to feel privilege. We begin to think creatively about ways that we can serve and leverage our lives and our positions and our privileges for the sake of other people. See, uh, when Jesus occupies the center, he progressively turns us from ingrown to outward. When he occupies the center, he, he turns us from ingrown to outward. Our heart it regulates our hands. And Jesus Christ, as he moves in through his spirit, he regulates our heart, which regulates our own hands. And the work of our hands, it actually, the, the, our way of life, uh, the things that we do with our money, our time, our, our, our attention, uh, our resources, they reveal uh, what is happening inside of our own hearts. So when you give of yourself to other people, when you make yourself available to other people, that moves your heart in a particular direction. And, uh, and, and it shows your heart as well. And what you and I keep for ourselves, hold back for ourselves, it moves our heart and it shows our hearts as well. So our everyday decisions, the way that we live our life, it, it reveals the battleground of the heart and our heart is not neutral. With every single decision that we're making, it's moving incrementally in one direction, self-giving, or another direction, self-getting. It's moving in worship to God or worship of self or things that ultimately are all about us. Um, 
On Sunday, Trevor used the Creation Fall Redemption Restoration Grid uh, to just help us think through giving. Um, I thought that was really helpful. And one thing that I that I realize in an ongoing way is that we understand the, the first three movements, creation, fall, and redemption of that grid, uh, to be very much past present. God created, we've rebelled, and he is now restoring us. So they're past and they're present. Um, but I fear that we only keep the restoration, the last, the fourth piece, we, we only push that out to a future date. And we only think about restoration being a future promise and a future reality. Not recognizing that Jesus, through his spirit, has already moved in. He's already reforming us. He's already bringing restorative action and fruitfulness to us. He's doing that now. That's happening to you and I now through the Spirit of God who lives in us. This is where in the Lord's Prayer, this is where he says, he teaches us to pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Frankly, um, I've been thinking a lot this last week about your generosity as a church, and I am uh, I'm stunned at how in the world I got in on being a part of your community. Uh, you being a part of my life and Meredith's life. Uh, I'm, I, I regularly find myself worshiping the Lord Jesus through your abundant self-giving, through your generosity. You show up early on a Sunday morning to provide a comfortable environment for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity around the gospel, around the scriptures, around prayer, in song together, in fellowship. You help one another move. There's some guys right now, my, I've got some stomach issues going on. There's some, a group of people in Liberty Lake right now as I'm talking to you that are moving uh, a family member of one of the members of our church. Uh, you bring each other meals, whether you have, you're having babies or you've fallen on hard times or you're having surgeries, you rally around one another and you make meals and you bring abundant food to each other. You give of your money on a regular basis generously to provide for my own family, to provide for our ministry team at All of Life. Uh, a few weeks ago, somebody asked me if I needed a car or if like I knew, actually, if I knew somebody who needed a car. As far as I know, that car is still available. So if you know someone who needs a car or if you yourself need a car in good working condition, there is somebody in our church who would love to gift you a car. Reach out. Um, a few weeks uh, before this friend reached out and asked if we needed a car, um, somebody gave us a, a, a very generous gift at All of Life Church. And we were able to send, as a church family, uh, $7,500 overseas to Ukraine to Benjamin Morrison and his church, Calvary Chapel, in Svitlovsk, Ukraine. We were able to give them $7,500 free and clear, which was the balance remaining to get them moved into a building that they have been renovating for three years, and they've just been stuck in the fundraising process. And so this generous donor said, I don't want to just bypass our church. I want to give it to our church, and I want our church to give it then to them so that everyone at All of Life can get in on the blessing of giving. How incredible is that? Just, just floors me.
that you think about people like you do and that you love people like you do. Uh, you gave $45,000 above what we planned for last year, which we've been able to save. We've been able to lease this hub, this room that I'm in here now. I hope you'll take advantage of it. You give away beds, you give away clothes, you give away bikes to kids, you open your homes, people stay with you, you provide refuge. Your hearts are so open and generous. Tracy Fouché, she's helped us design the hub order the furniture and the and, and, and things here. Trevor has spent his time assembling things and putting things together. Uh, you as a church, you as a church have funded the lease here. This list goes on and on and on with what you do for one another and others in our community. So I, I just, I like, uh, we're in a cultural moment where we have an opportunity to continue doing the same things that we have been doing. Uh, the Apostle Paul will say that in 2 Corinthians 8. He's, he's encouraging the Corinthians about the Macedonians' gift to the, the struggling church in Jerusalem. But he also, he points out in verse, uh, verse 10, he's like, a year ago, you guys started to do the exact same thing and desire to do it. And so he's just calling out for the Corinthians how they've been doing the same thing that the Macedonian churches a thousand miles away from them have been doing all for the church in Judea. Um, I, I just say all of that to say, like, keep doing, keep living, keep trusting the Lord with your economic means, with your time and your resources, um, giving yourself to relationships that make you feel vulnerable. Um, just, you're doing so well. Uh, you're doing so well. Uh, we live in a culture where and we, I think we live under a weight um, that when we ask like, hey, how's your generosity? Or we ask, hey, how's your prayer life? Or how's your time in the word? Or how's your time in community? We're just so quick to like gravitate to the negative end of, well, I could be doing better and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. Now, frankly, some of you need to like wake up and get going and, and, and live in obedience to the Lord Jesus. And, and so that's something that the Holy Spirit likely is communicating to you right now. But so many of you, the majority, are doing so well. And I just want to celebrate that. And I just want to let that sit on you. I just want you to know that I love you and I'm thankful for you. And who cares how Jared loves you and is thankful for you? Like the Lord Jesus, I don't believe that I'm being um, inconsistent with his heart when I say he is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. Um, and here's where your motive comes from. I just, I, I just scratched my sermon. So um, I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to wrap this thing up in a couple of minutes. Um, but here's where I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, there's this, there's, there's this, this motive. Um, there, there are a couple of different motives at play, but there's like a foundational motive at play that is causing the, uh, the early church in Acts 2:42 through 47 to live generously. That same motive is present in the Corinthians and that same motive is present in the Macedonian churches. And that motive comes from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. You know, you've experienced, you've tasted and seen. You've been overwhelmed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though 
he was rich, enthroned with the Father, in perpetual, holy, good, right community. Though he was rich like that, yet for whose sake? For your sake. He, Jesus, came to become poor, to put on flesh, so that, purpose clause, so that you, plural, us, recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ, might become rich in God, rich in fellowship, rich in spiritual temperature, hot, if you will. He's not talking about rich in life, rich in finances, though that might be the case for some people. Our lives, all of life, are rich. And I'm stunned that I get to have the privilege of leading a people like you alongside your other leaders at All of Life. Uh, if you know my resume, you know my backstory, nobody saw this coming. And that's all unmerited favor. And I'm just crazy thankful for it. So here's where I'm going to end. Um, uh, I just want to, I'm going to read the last three paragraphs of my sermon. I'm going to preach it, but I'm going to, I'm going to read it. And, and this is where we'll, we'll land. Um, I'm going to repeat verse nine again. Second Corinthians eight, verse nine. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We followers of Jesus, we do not follow him only as a teacher. We do not follow Jesus only as a life coach or a good moral example, but we follow Jesus as the very unmerited favor of God given to us. Apart from God, we are impoverished. Apart from God, we are impoverished. While he may give us supplies that sustain us, which are also, you know, given by, by him, if we have supplies that sustain us, maybe for the duration of our uh, life on earth, we've got a solid bank account, solid income, solid resources. The moment will come for each one of us where we will meet God, we will experience his overwhelming power and his presence, and we will give to him an account for how we used our one life given by him in the first place. We, we, who do not have Christ will have nothing sure to stand on on that day because God's standard is total holiness and allegiance. And those without Christ will feel immense regret and shame. There will be weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth. There will be despondency. And there will be pleading. And these people, these souls, will have realized that they had thousands upon thousands of days to turn to Christ in faith, but have consistently rejected him, and their time has run out. But, but, there will be a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, Revelation chapter 7, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, in white robes signifying their purity and cleanness by his work and with palm branches in their hands and crying out, shouting with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We love him. He is ours. We are his and this multitude 
of people. It's the former poor like you and I who have clung to Christ as their only hope in life and death. And they have come to understand God's grace that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. To quote Paul's words in the first question of the New City Catechism, they and we who are Christ's will have come to understand the knee will bow. And so willingly we have said, we're yours. We're yours gladly. Thank you for taking us in. How did they come to understand this? Man, there are five books and 10 sermons wrapped up in that question. How we've come to understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and why others rejected. But ultimately, and the easiest way to say it is, we've come to understand this by the action of Christ Jesus becoming a man. The richest being in all of creation condescended, came down, became a peasant compared to his godhood and compared to most of humanity. He lived among us. As Philippians said, he took on human form. He submitted himself to the Father and the Holy Spirit in everything. Now, why in the world would God do that? Because God, our Father, our Son, and our Spirit is love. And love motivated the God-man, Jesus, to lay down his life in a radical and joyful proportion. For the joy in front of Jesus, he chose to lay down his life and despise the shame of our sin. The prophet Isaiah said of Jesus 700 years before he came, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. This is where our motive to be a joyfully generous people comes from. It comes from the motive of our God embedded in our own DNA. And so that's where I'll, I'll leave this. There are no points of application. Uh, the Holy Spirit will show you how to apply. Acts 2, 42 through 47. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Read uh, beyond chapter 8 into chapter 9 as well. Just look for the attitude. Look for the contours and the textures of this community as they begged earnestly for the privilege of giving of themselves and serving other people. I love you all of life.